If you've been with us over the past several weeks, you know that we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And the author of this book goes by the Hebrew name Koholeth, a word that means preacher or teacher. And week by week, we've walked through the first four chapters of Koholeth's wisdom. And over and over again, he comes back to one key message and to one key word, the Hebrew word Habel, which in most Bible translations is rendered vanity. Literally in Hebrew, it means vapor or breath. Vanity of vanity. Everything is vanity. For four chapters, over and over again, Koholith tells us about all of the different aspects of life that concern us here on earth. A place that he refers to as being under the sun. And over and over again, he returns to the theme of vanity. Money, power, relationships, all of it is vanity. Wastes of time. Because in the big scheme of things, Koholith tells us, nothing changes and we're all going to die. And he doesn't confine himself merely to materialistic concerns. Even the idea of wisdom is taken up and discarded as being truly enduring. In chapter 2, verse 13, Koholith tells us that it is better to be wise than to be foolish. He says this, Then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. So it's better to be wise. But then he goes on in verse 16 to admit that both wise people and foolish people die. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So even wisdom ends with the same refrain as everything else. Vapor. Money. Vapor. Power. Vapor. Relationships. Vapor. Work. Vapor. Every time he takes up a new topic, he ends with the same refrain. Until now. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, we see Koholith reach the pinnacle of his argument. The pivot is this. If everything in this life under the sun is vapor, what really matters in the end? Should we just eat and drink for tomorrow we die? No. Because now, now we come into the presence of the living God. And in God's presence, it's time to get serious. Suddenly, being wise or being foolish matters a great deal. Because we are no longer under the sun. Our passage this morning begins and it ends with a clear message. 
going into God's house and drawing near to God's presence is not vapor. Verse 1 begins, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And verse 7 ends, God is the one you must fear. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. If coming into the presence of God really matters, what is the wrong way to do it? And what is the right way? Now, to understand Kahola's point, the first thing we need to think about is what does it mean to go to the house of God? Well, at this point in history, the people of God, the Israelites, have built a temple in Jerusalem. So Kaholith is talking about going to the temple. But coming into the temple had a particular significance because as part of his covenant with Israel, God had promised the Israelites that he would meet them at the temple. Now, in one sense, everybody understood that no one place could contain God. A king named Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, and he said this when he did so. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. So God is not exactly contained or confined to the temple, but God had designated the temple as the place where he would meet with his people. Indeed, before the temple, in Moses' day, God dwelt in a tent, and that tent was called just that, the tent of meeting. So going into the house of God in a spiritual sense means entering into the presence of God, worshiping God. And Kaholeth wants us to understand that this is a big deal. As he points out in verse 2, God is in heaven and we are on earth. So to come to the house of God meant coming into the presence of God, and Kaholeth is warning us entering God's house is serious. Watch your step. This idea of taking the presence of God seriously may seem a bit foreign to us, particularly in this day and age. In the world we live in now, it's pretty common not to take God very seriously. In the secular world, God is often the butt of jokes, satire. The third commandment, not to take the name of the Lord in vain, is certainly falling on deaf ears for many among us. But even within Christianity, you see in the times we live in that this glorious intimacy and the fellowship that we can have with God because of Jesus can sometimes get turned into something a little too casual. A sort of acting as if Jesus is my buddy instead of Jesus is my Lord. Now listen, Jesus is indeed our friend. He's a greater friend than we can possibly imagine. But he is also much, much more than that. So we need to be careful even as Christians, 
not to turn God's kindness toward us or his fellowship with us into an indication that he's any less holy or any less majestic or any less glorious. Now, when Kohola tells us to guard our steps, what advice is he giving? Well, first and foremost, Koholet tells us how not to do it. And he calls this something a bit cryptic in verse 2. He calls it the sacrifice of fools. So what not to do? Do not give the sacrifice of fools. And in verses 3 to 5, he gives us two examples of what that might mean. The first is this, talking too much. We're told in verse 2 to let our words be few. Don't be rash to utter a word before God. Now, in hearing this, you may be asking yourself, why is this such a big issue? If we're meant to honor God in our worship, can't many words be used? Why the focus on how much we talk? Well, first and foremost, talking too much is often called out in the Bible as a sign that you lack wisdom. This comes up often in the book of Proverbs. Here's a couple. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So the first thing we can say is that restraining your words and being careful what you say is a sign of wisdom. And when we come to deal with the Almighty, wisdom is critical. The other question we can ask ourselves is, when we enter into the presence of the living God, Whose voice is more important? Now, the answer, of course, is God's voice. So when we talk and talk and talk to God, instead of listening to God, what have we done? We've taken worship, which is meant to focus on God, and we've made it all about us. Jesus points this out when he's teaching us to pray In Matthew chapter 6, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus' point is that some people think that if they say the right words to God, if they repeat them the right way, that in some form or fashion, this enables them to get what they want from God. And of course, we all know that's complete nonsense. God doesn't need our words to know what's in our hearts. A lot of hasty words easily can turn into self-centered babbling. Now, there's a danger here for us, especially those of us who have been Christians for a long time, as we consider Kohola's teaching here. I think it's very easy for us to distance ourselves from this idea, for us to think that when Kohola talks about 
someone foolish babbling in front of God to think that he's merely talking about an irreligious person, an arrogant atheist, if you will, someone who doesn't take God seriously. And certainly someone like that would be foolish. The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But, lest we distance ourselves from this too easily, consider that a person who appears religious can quite easily offer a sacrifice of fools to enter into God's presence full of self-righteousness and pride can cause you to babble and look equally, if not more foolish, in the presence of a holy God. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 18, verse 9, where Jesus tells his disciples a story about none other than going to the temple. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As you listen to that story, ask yourself, who talked a lot? And who talked a little? Who feared God? And who made their worship all about themselves? So the first thing we must avoid in the sacrifice of fools is hasty, self-centered words. Now, Koholith goes on to tell us another sacrifice of fools, and that sacrifice is hasty promises. Look at verses 4 to 6. In verse 4, Koholith tells us, if you make a vow to God, honor it. Now, because he talks about paying it, most likely he's referring here to the idea of pledging money or some other offering at the temple and then failing to honor that pledge. And in verse 5, he goes further and he tells us it is better not to promise anything than to promise and fail to deliver. In verse 6, he even brings up the idea of making a lame excuse, making a promise, and then when a messenger comes to collect, saying, whoops, I made a mistake. Now, the idea of pledging money at a temple 
can seem a little bit remote to us, but this idea is well worth considering. How seriously do you and I take our commitments to God? For instance, how seriously do you take a promise to serve in church versus a promise you make to your boss at work? How seriously do we take a promise to financially support the work of ministry, whether a church or a missionary or the poor, versus a commitment to pay our mortgage or our credit card bill? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we might realize that we take our commitments to God all too casually and our commitments under the sun far more seriously. So Koholith is certainly teaching us what not to do when we enter into the presence of God. He teaches us how to avoid the sacrifice of fools, but also he teaches us what we ought to do if we are faithful, if we are reverent, when we come into the presence of God, what does the reverence of the faithful look like? First, he tells us, instead of talking, listen. In verse 2, for it is better to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. When we come into the presence of God, that which honors God and that which lifts us up is the voice of God himself. Now you may ask yourself, how can we listen? How does God speak to us? Well, the primary way in which he speaks is through his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 tells us, that the people who speak to us in the Bible spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why when we come together to worship here at One Covenant, everything we say, our call to worship, our prayers, our songs, they're all soaked in the words of the Bible. The prayer of each one of us who stands and preaches the word of God is that the word of God would be illuminated and loved. May God have mercy on me if anyone ever came to church to hear what Aaron Akins thinks about God rather than what God says about himself. When we soak ourselves in the word, we are listening. Now, sadly, we cannot take this for granted. If at times the church, particularly in the past, became a place of empty, hypocritical formalism, in our own times it can all too often turn into a self-centered show. If we aren't careful to listen to Koholis warning, our worship turns away from God and it centers on ourselves. Our songs spend more time talking about our feelings than about God's majesty. Even preaching can descend into funny stories and practical life hacks instead of the proclamation 
of the greatness of the living God. Friends, we cannot do this. We must listen to the Word of God, lest we offer the sacrifice of fools. Second, Koholith reminds us of the main point in verse 7. God is the one you must fear. Now the word fear here does not mean terror. It doesn't mean that God is like the bad guy in a horror movie. The fear is the same word used in Proverbs 1-7, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This fear, then, is more about reverence, awe, respect. It's the idea that lies underneath the idea that we listen when we come to God rather than talking, that we meet the promises we make to God rather than treating them casually. It's the idea that God is what he truly is, holy, set apart, eternal. As Kahola says, he is in heaven and we are on earth. And when we realize this, when it becomes clear to us, we can't help but be filled with that awe and that respect. When we come into the presence of the God of the universe, we are no longer dealing in vapor. We're no longer chasing wind. We're dealing with what truly matters. Indeed, we, in this age, receive an even greater favor than Koholith did. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So even though a prophet like Koholith spoke for God, even he did not get to see the full picture of God's goodness that was revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has come, the way to God no longer lies in an earthly temple. Indeed, Jesus tells us that he himself is the way in which we meet with God. Again, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we're told to do the following. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, in Christ, we have been given the privilege of boldly approaching the throne of grace. Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So let us approach. Let us approach boldly. Let us approach joyfully. But let us take the words of Koholith seriously. We approach boldly, but never casually. We come to listen, not to babble. 
We come to see the majesty of God, not the wisdom of our feelings. We serve joyfully and we take our commitments seriously. And in so doing, we act wisely in the one part of life that endures forever, our relationship with the living God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ, the way into your presence is open. It is open fully for each one of us who trust and believe on you to approach boldly, seeking grace. We thank you and we praise you and we ask that you forgive us for each and every time that we have taken this glorious truth and seen it as less than it truly is. We ask that you forgive us for every time that we have failed to revere you as you should be revered. And we ask, Lord, that a holy seriousness and a holy joy would be upon us as we come into your presence. In your precious name we pray. Amen.